just stick with the room mic, and therefore we're not going to show the video. The best video you would have ever seen. <laughs> but uh, those who watch the video, thank you very much. As I as I messaged, I'm not entirely sure what's going on, and because of the fact we're in a new room, I think I know. Uh, we're using Wi-Fi right now, and so we don't have a stronger connection. I think that's why you're having the, the sound issues that happen off that. So I'm using a lower quality mic. Should send a less bandwidth intensive signal. Um, so I hope that works for you. It means there will be more room noise and wonderful, wonder of wonders. To, I'm in a musical mood because I get to see uh, Little Shop of Horrors at the Alabama Shakespeare Festival this week. I'm very excited about that. Um, but so I'm quoting from uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, we have kids in the room, which is just always wonderful. That does mean there'll be a little more room, uh, room noise than normal because of the mic. Uh, we're not upset about that in, in the room. We're thrilled by it. It means it'll be a little more difficult for you to hear, but hopefully not a problem. We are therefore not doing the video though because I don't think it'll sound, I don't think you'll be able to understand it at all um, on um, the video. So therefore, we're going to go uh, into uh, the gospel according to Luke and focus on uh, Lent again. So we are in the third Sunday of Lent. And Lent is this time period where the church focuses on death. If you think about it, every, every Sunday this past week, or this, uh, the past three weeks, we focused on death in one way or another. Not always physical death, but on the things that separate us. That's what Lent is about, is to focus on death so that when Easter Sunday comes, we're reminded that death is not the end. We're surrounded by death. So, so many things we do are because of our fear of death. And so many things we do, well, out of our fear of death, actually lead to us not experiencing life as much. And that's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to be in the, the Gospel according to Luke and on the ninth chapter. Um, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. This is what the Word of the Lord says. And uh, my buddy's not here to operate the PowerPoint, so therefore I have to read behind me. Uh, I reverse that. Luke 13, verses 1 through 9, not Luke 9, verses 1 through 13. This is what it says. Now there were some present at the, that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit uh, on it, but it did not, find, or did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, this passage of scripture we read, it's, it's interesting because the two occurrences that uh, are mentioned there, one, Pilate mixing the blood of Galileans with the sacrifice, and then the other is the tower falling, the tower of Siloam falling on 18 people. And it's an interesting passage because it's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. We have no historical references for it. Jesus is using something 
that the people he's talking to would be familiar uh, with, and he's making a point about it. And, and I think the point is, well, is this. Okay, now if you've ever been to a courthouse, there's a really good chance you would see a statue of Lady Justice, and she's almost always uh, holding in her hand uh, the scales of justice. We have the scales mindset that is a part of our life quite normally. And religiously, it plays out a lot. Plays out with basically what Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> Am I better than they are? Because if somebody else is worse than me, then I'm okay. I can't tell you the number of times I've been talking with somebody about faith because I believe we were created to be in relationship with God. That is what life is ultimately about. That is our purpose. And we are our most joyful when we are in relationship with Jesus. And I can't tell you the number of times somebody said, I'm okay, I'm not Hitler. That literally, there's somebody below me, so I'm okay. It's kind of like the old joke about the bear. Two guys walk in in the woods, and they see a grizzly bear, and the grizzly makes signs to come after them. And one guy bends down and starts uh, swapping out his boots for running shoes. And, and the other guy says, what are you doing? There's no way you can outrun a bear. And he's, he says, I'm not trying to outrun the bear. I'm trying to outrun you. We have that mindset when it comes to, to what does it mean to follow Jesus? As long as there's someone worse than us, we're okay. And, and that's not a new thing, okay? If you look in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, Scales are a part of that. In the Egyptian book of the dead, the gods will take your heart and put it on the scale to measure whether or not you live a good life. What a burden. What a burden it is to, to, to walk around thinking, I have to live this good life. And the reason I say what a burden is because when we're honest with ourselves, I think we all know how far we fall from the, uh, the standard that God has set. I think we all know what really goes on inside our hearts. The selfishness, the pettiness, the jealousy that happens. The focusing on ourselves rather than on others. When we're held up to a standard like Jesus, we realize how far we fall down. And those scales... Well, they don't work for us. Whoops. So we come back down to basically looking to where others may have sinned worse than us. You look in Scripture, you'll see this again and again and again. Here's one example. The disciples ask Jesus, they find a blind man, and they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This assumption is if bad things happen to you, it happens because of the fact that you've done something wrong. And I think it's why we tend to celebrate when others fall. I mean, if you really want to, to see it happen, just go on social media. We love to lift people up, and the only thing we love more than lifting people up is taking those same people and causing them to fall. My guilty pleasure right now, Pam and I are loving these true crime documentaries. We're watching The Dropout right now on Hulu, which is about the Elizabeth Holmes story. And you see her just go up, and then you realize, oh, she's faking it the whole time. She's, she's so terrible because she's faking it. Until I look in the mirror and realize how often I'm faking it. Until I look in the mirror and realize the times that maybe I didn't commit fraud and you know, actually have um, uh, blood testing done on people that doesn't work. I haven't done something illegal. 
but I'm definitely faking it a lot of times. So the disciples look at this blind person, they, they just assume something bad happened to you, therefore you sinned or your parents sinned, somebody's being punished. And we throw on that, hoping that nobody recognizes our sin. The book of Daniel, there's this wonderful reference where uh, Nebuchadnezzar is told that he has been weighed, he's been measured, he's been found wanting. Uh, I love it, one, because it's in Scripture. Two, anytime Scripture makes it into a movie, I love it. If you've ever watched The Ninth's Tale, it makes it in there. And there's this wonderful scene where it ends at the end of the movie, and they, they look at the villain and they say, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. And I just hope, in my heart, it's always somebody else that's weighed and measured and found wanting. Workers, you know how much more you could be doing at work. Teachers, you know how much more you could do for your students. Parents, you know how often you fail. Spouses, you know those selfish moments that happen. Friends, you know those moments when you're hoping that your friend doesn't call because you're tired and you know they're in, they, need, they need to talk to you, but you're just like, please don't call me right now. <laughs> yes. Grandparents. <laughs> Turn the phone off, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Grandkids, call me at a good moment, not at a bad moment. Yeah. <laughs> How often, if we were weighed and measured, would we be found wanting? And when I read texts like this, the death side of me is, oh my gosh, I need to work more. Because what happens in this passage is, Jesus tells a parable, and whenever he's telling a parable, he's answering somebody's question generally. The people are like, hey, these people are worse because of this, and Jesus addresses that, and he says, do you think they're worse because this bad thing happened to them? Do you think they're worse because this tower fell on top of them? Let me tell you this parable as an answer. And this parable is about a tree. That tree should look familiar to you. Does that tree look familiar to you? Yeah. Because I know for a fact in your family, that tree means you're almost home, doesn't it? Yeah, I love that tree. I used to drive by it a couple of times a week. Not as often as you do, but a couple of times a week. I love that tree. I have pictures of that tree when it's got leaves out, and then I have pictures of that tree when the leaves have turned, and then I have pictures of that tree in the midst of winter, and I have pictures of that tree in spring. I love that tree. And Jesus tells a parable about a fig tree. Fig trees not bearing fruit. And the gardener says the following. He says this. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now I've got to be honest with you. Maybe you're not like this. But when I read that passage, I immediately think, I need to spiritually dig around the tree, and I need to spiritually put fertilizer in it. I need to cause it to grow. But in a parable, we have to ask what's actually being said. Who's the gardener in this parable? Who do you think? Is it you and me? No. We're the tree. We're the ones being described as being unfruitful. The gardener is not us. The gardener is Jesus. 
In this parable, Jesus refers to people as the tree, as the unfruitful ones. And the response is, the gardener says, you know what? I need to give it another year. I need to dig around it. I need to put some fertilizer in it or other things because we, I think we all know there are kids in the room. We all know what fertilizer in the ancient Near East would have been, I think. <laughs> if you don't, talk to me afterwards and I will tell you what it was. Even if I use kid-appropriate language at this point, that will just cause laughter. Manure, buddy. He's talking about manure. Thank you, Eric. It hasn't know? changed that much. It really hasn't changed that much. <laughs> the gardener says, I'm going to dig around this, and I'm going to put manure around the tree, and let's see what happens. How does the tree produce fruit? It has to be fertilized. Also, it has to be, uh, what do you call it? Inseminated. Yes. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of it. Well, I don't know if that's the word, but yeah. I think, you, I think you're dealing with very different trees than I. Pollinated. Pollinated. Good job, That's my mom. <laughs> Here's what I like on this. <laughs> what I'm loving is she's just red. I'm just going to let it stay. <laughs> trees just bear fruit when they're healthy. Oh, that one. <laughs> See, what you used the wrong word. <laughs> no, no, you're good. There needs to be pollination that takes oh, place. Yeah. But a tree doesn't go, I'm going to bear fruit. <laughs> Healthy trees just bear fruit. Being connected to the right soil, getting the right amount of water. But the tree doesn't do that. It needs a bee. It needs others. It needs bees. <laughs> it needs gardeners. Tree is dependent on others bringing about the things that will happen or will produce fruit. See, the gardener again, he said, leave it alone, and it will produce fruit if I do these things. That's a common thing in Scripture, that we will be known by the fruit we produce. Again, things that we don't do through our own effort. Jesus says the following, he says this, he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do, not, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The point being that when the Holy Spirit enters your life, the Spirit begins to change you to be a little more like Jesus. Doesn't mean you get it perfect. If you're a grumpy, ordinary person before you meet Jesus, you will still be a grumpy, ordinary person when you meet Jesus, but the Spirit will begin to work into you where maybe you'll be 2% less ordinary and, and, and grumpy. Where suddenly, maybe you'll be 5% less ordinary and grumpy. You will never be just the joyful person to be around until you are really in Jesus' presence. But the Spirit begins to work in your life to produce fruit. And the reason that's so important is death says you must work harder, you must do more, you haven't been able to do this in the past, 
But now you will be able to do it and you'll get it all right. And the reality is you won't be able to do it and get it all right. We try again and again and again to live the perfect holy lifestyle. And all that happens is we see over and over again because of the law how often we fail. Parents, you're going to mess up with your kids. It's just going to happen. I know. <laughs> and the grace of God is, is that your kids will probably forget most of those. And remember, most of the times you actually do the right things. Grandparents, you're going to mess up. Friends, you're going to mess up. Spouses, you're going to mess up. But when we depend upon the grace of God, He begins to build the fruit into our lives. And what are those fruit? Well, again, Scripture tells us, says the following. It says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is literally described as, this is what the Spirit is going to produce in you. I want you to think of how unspiritual we consider most of those things. It's not, the Spirit is going to produce in you the greatest memory of, of uh, Scripture that's ever happened. It's not, the Spirit is going to produce in you prayer times that last all day long. Now those are both really good things. I hope you are reading Scripture. I send out an email every week during Lent full of scripture and prayers. Literally so you, if you have nothing else, you have some scripture to read during the week and prayers that if you're like, I don't know what to pray, you can pray this. Those are both good things. But what are the fruit of having Jesus in your life? It's that you increase in love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the things that happen when the Spirit enters our lives and our roots are stuck in the soil of Jesus Christ and they've been fertilized. Death happens when we're just like, I will work harder. And you're probably hearing this message right now and you're responding in death by thinking, I'll work harder to produce love and joy and peace and forbearance. I'll do this and this and this because we are great at rescuing the law from the jaws of grace. Grace says receive. The law says work harder. That's why grace is life. Grace is depend on me and trust in me. Be like them. They know they are so loved here that they're okay with that. There's no fear there. They also know that they're loved enough that if they did something they didn't need to do, somebody would lovingly get them and go, you can't do that right now. That's trust. Hey, case in point. Thank you for being a wonderful illustration. Uh, 
Grace is life. The law is death. And yet we love to live in the law because it seems like it's under our control. The opening story of our faith is about two people who wanted to be like God and they tried to grab fruit on their own rather than slowly allowing God to produce that fruit in them through his own effort. And they're not alone. We do this every day. So before I end, if you're looking for the Republicans, they're on the other side. <laughs> you're very welcome. Not a statement I usually say in the, in the message. <laughs> so, hey guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna scoot y'all over there, okay? I sat over there for a while before I realized I wasn't sure. There we go. Seriously. So, before I end, does that, anybody have anything to add? Uh, would you just repeat then about grace and the law? Grace produces life because it's about dependence. The law is it produces death because it's about our own control and effort. So grace is God. Grace is God, and, and specifically grace is us trusting. But here, this is what I like on grace. So if Jesus is the, is the guardian in this, this parable that's used, and he says, hey, by the way, you said the tree didn't, uh, didn't produce fruit for three years. Let's let it last another year, and I'm going to put fertilizer around it. I'm going to work it a little bit, and let's see if it produces fruit. And if at the end of the year it doesn't produce fruit, then you can tear it down. If Jesus is the gardener, let's just let's make an assumption here based off the parable. At the end of the year, the tree still doesn't produce fruit. What is Jesus probably going to do? He's going to fertilize it again. He's probably going to say, you know, maybe with a little bit more fertilizing, it'll produce fruit. Let's try it another year. Because God is always God. He is always the gracious God who responds. He will judge, but eventually that judgment that happens, it will still happen in his grace. One of the reasons I love that C.S. Lewis describes hell as being uh, having its gates locked from the inside. Those who do not wish to be with God are those that will not be with God. It's not universalism. That is, at the end of the day, God's going to do everything he possibly can for us to, to be able to look at him and say, Jesus is Lord. That's grace. Okay, yeah. The law is, it's all about me. I may be the tree, but I've got to figure out a way to, to fertilize myself and to work around those roots. I've got to do it all, even though there's no possible way I can. Trees can't fertilize themselves. If you're a biologist and they actually can fertilize themselves, do not correct me right now because you'll ruin the message, okay? But for my assumption, trees cannot fertilize themselves. But we do everything we can to live a righteous and holy lifestyle when there's no way we can. And the most righteous and holy people I know are those who just trust in Jesus. That's grace. The law is us doing it on our own. It's doing what? It is us doing it on our own. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, Clance. But it was Dallas Willard who said grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Because it, it's hard work to try and depend on, on Jesus. Well, we have to be like the man who looks at Jesus and says, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And those of us who are older, uh, like, you know. Like me. Oh, get out. Uh, <laughs> Child. Like, you know, like us. Like, you know, like us. 
people always say, oh, well, what did you do today? And I, I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then and then you start to feel guilty that you haven't produced something or oh, yeah. learned something or contributed something. And you know, what what if I just laid on the sofa all day and read or you know? And how wonderful would that be? <laughs> well, I mean, so it, to me, it's really hard sometimes to not do anything. Yeah, I would agree, Jim. Because I like to do things, but I, sometimes I don't want to do things, and so. I don't know. Is that still grace? <laughs> I think that's still grace. And when we define ourselves by our production, when we define ourselves by our production, we tend to do that spiritually too. I'm holy and righteous because I did all of this, rather than I'm holy and righteous because I just trust that Jesus loves me. Anybody else before I shut us down? Because we still have to walk through the Republicans to put our stuff back up. So. It's the Republican caucus over there. I just think that's funny. We have to walk through, walk through the Republicans. Well, I may not do uh, that. I don't know. So, guys, live in grace. That's where life is. The world is full of death about what we produce, how we obey. So let's sing to the one who offers us grace. Here's our closing prayer. Would you please join with me in singing it? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy In a world that is full of death, that is all about production, may you experience God's grace. May you be the tree that recognizes that it is fertilized by Him. May the Spirit live in your life. Go with God. Have a great week. We need to tear down now, and we need to put our stuff in the closet that's over there. Um, they're not meeting yet. They're just doing a, a, like a snack thing, so we're not interrupting them because uh, we would obviously would not want to do that. But we can put our stuff in the closet. Uh, if you're on video, obviously you don't have to put anything in the closet right now unless you need to clean your house, okay? Have a great week, okay? Bye. Can I do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we need background dancers. I love these chairs. I love these chairs. Yeah, this room is much nicer. <laughs>